and welcome to Indians on Deck. I'm your host, Matt Schlichting, joined, as always, by Brian Hemminger. Brian, how are you? I'm ready to talk some prospects, finally. Yes, as am I. And we have a fairly awesome show prepared today, all things considered. First up, we wanted to answer some questions that we received from the broader Let's Go Tribe community in regards to prospects and the Indian system. Wanted to also talk about player development news there's been some shifts around the org and it's going to affect how some of these guys it's going to affect their route to the majors moving forward just because there's some different faces involved and then we've got some updates on position battles it should be a good time yeah there's a a lot going on right now i think everybody's finally there arrived in spring training they actually are having the first game in like three or four days so uh you know baseball's rolling along I'm really excited to see games starting, and so I was excited to see other people just as excited as us throw some questions into the hat for us to answer this week. Just to go ahead and kick it off, the first one came from Cousin Drew on the Let's Go Tribe Discord. You should check it out if you haven't yet. And he asked, pick a shortstop to start tomorrow and the rest have to get switched slash traded immediately. Rosario, Jimenez, Miller, Arias... Freeman. That is such an unfair question. <laughs> Got to trade him or move him off short. I'm assuming that's what he meant by switch. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, honestly, I think three or four of those would be top 10 prospects right now. Yeah. If, and if Jimenez qualified, he would right, be right up there. I mean, it's just, that's unfair. But, I mean, gun to my head right now, if I had to pick one and it would have to be factored into the power increase that we've recently seen, but I'd have to go Tyler Freeman. Ooh. Um, now, Jimenez put up actually higher war numbers than Lindor, so I think that would be a safe choice as well uh, in his last season as a rookie. Um, and Rokio, you know, everybody loves Rokio, um, so he could clearly do it as well, but I think my order would probably be Freeman, then Rokio, then Jimenez, if I had to, had to make a choice. But uh, the reason is, I think Freeman's bat plays. I mean, this kid does not strike out often. He makes solid, consistent contact. And I think that that doubles power is going to eventually expand into maybe not 30 home run power, but I bet if he continues to add strength, uh, it could be double-digit home run power with some steals, good defense, and somebody hitting, you know, getting on base at a over 350 clip, I would think. Can we call it Kipnis Plus? I think a more athletic, speedier version of uh, Kipnis, possibly. Yeah, okay. And that strikes out way less and hits better against, uh, I think, lefties and righties. I'm going to cheat because I can and just take by default whomever is the best overall shortstop of the bunch defensively as as stupid a choice as that is and as much as i will likely be dragged in the comments across all corners of the internets for this choice i just defense at shortstop still means a lot to me and i just want the the best glove guy i can get there 
I don't care if he hits 195. If he hits 195, he's got to look cool. (laughs) There we go. So which one would that be for you? From my understanding, Jimenez is considered to be the best overall defensively right now, right? Right now, yep. At the major league level, he was significantly better than Rosario last season when they were splitting time at shortstop. Right. In terms of defense. So he was... Very good. I guess I'm trading four awesome shortstops, but I mean, <laughs> damn it, Drew. Yeah, that is an unfair I don't want to trade Tyler Freeman. So I'm hoping they can find a somewhere for these guys to all be able to contribute. I mean, I guess you could really get flexible here and use the switch and say you keep Jimenez at short. Rosario goes somewhere in the outfield. You just put him in the soup of outfielders the Indians have, and hopefully he bobs. Somebody, the top somebody eventually. has to take over second next year. Freeman, I'd put him there, but then you're still giving up two really good guys who I don't think deserve to be moved to third. You know, and Rosario probably doesn't deserve to get moved in the outfield. Yeah, but and we've still got Ramirez at third anyway. So you're right. Hmm. <laughs> he probably doesn't move, does he? Probably not. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a difficult, it's a, it's a bind that we're in right now, but it's a good bind. The only problem is uh, we're already starting to see it is a, a few of our highly touted shortstop prospects that we've had to trade away are already starting to look good elsewhere. Like, uh, uh, you know, Eric Gonzalez contributed with uh, Pittsburgh, but most notably Willie Castro was amazing last year for the Tigers. And he projects to be one of their best players this year. All my fantasy stuff is telling me, like, draft Willie Castro. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Why did we get rid of this guy for... Because we were going to win a World Series. And Lindor was going to re-sign for... Oh, okay. (laughs) And so we didn't need any shortstops. No. Our Uh... second question... Our second question comes from Zachary David on Facebook, who asked, we all heard the Mariners president talk about service time manipulation and holding guys back. Who in the Indians organization is being held back or having their time manipulated? Uh, Well, I would say technically you could say that Zach Plasek had his last year, but they also were kind of punishing him for the whole COVID uh, bubble situation. Yes. But I think that he did end up getting losing, you know, a year to, to become a free agent earlier because they sent him back to the, the taxi squad and off the, the team for a few weeks. So that was one that we actually saw it happen. But I, I don't know if that was really service time and it was more they wanted to send a message type of thing. Yeah. Um, but in terms of service time, uh, you'd have to say Nolan Jones. I mean, I doubt that he makes the team right out of spring training. And I think his bat can play right now, but it's also a situation where, you know, the position Nolan normally plays is manned by one of the best players in the game. So now he's having to learn a new position. So, you know, they have a built-in excuse for not having him make the team right out of spring training. Suspiciously Um, will work on his defense for how many exact (laughs) days is it? Yeah. So right now, I mean, you could you could argue Jones, but I, it's not that strong of an argument. Like right now, they don't really have anybody who's being manipulated service time wise because uh, they have some good depth at a lot of key positions. And they're kind of clogged in a few spots where maybe a prospect could break through. But most of our top prospects are 
lower down the chart. Like the only top prospects that are at like the triple A level this year that are like top 10 prospects are probably going to be Jones and he's learning a new position. So I think that they're not in a position to manipulate service time right now. They will be next year. They will be next year for sure, because we're going to have, you know, probably that trio of studs from uh, the international signings with Bracco, Valera and uh, Rocchio all knocking on the door next year. I would think. There have been recent examples, though, mm-hmm. if I recall. Well, they they did it with, with Lindor, Karen, if you remember. With Lindor, yeah. And I wasn't there with Karinchak some absurd thing about him having to work on his pickoff move? As if anybody's ever really on base against him to begin <laughs> with. Well, I wouldn't even say Karinchak because the year that he made it to Cleveland, he started the year at, I think, double A. Um, and he was amazing at double A. Then he was amazing at triple A. Then he got hurt. So he had to go back to the rookie league and do a, a little rehab stint. And then he came back to AAA and dominated. And then they called him up. So even that wouldn't, I wouldn't call it same manipulation. So, I mean, the, the best example clearly was Lindor. I mean, it's, it's not even close. I think, uh, you know, that he was ready to, to play on the team his, the, the year that they did call him up. And then, then they called him up and he was incredible. I mean, they should have, he, he should have been called up right away. I mean, that was a, we, we had a really bad shortstop situation at that point. I think, I think, I think actually Jose Ramirez started the year at shortstop. He was. Yeah. That's and, one of the bizarre things. And he was about- terrible. And he actually got sent back to the minors. I think he was so bad. And, but then all of a sudden he figured it out like a, a year or two later. Well, he had looked good in brief times in 2014, and then I think he stopped hitting, and it was just one of his normal weird slumps he has, apparently. And I think he got in his head and just forgot how to play defense for a couple weeks, because I remember, like, it seemed like he was making an error every other game. But you look at, like, the the members of our current rotation, and I don't think those were even service... Uh, time manipulations you know beaver made the the pro so quickly yeah uh like he just kind of jumped from double a all the way to the pros so he had to you know get that first half a year in in the minors because he wasn't even close to the majors yet same with uh play sec you know he kind of got that spot start and he looked good so they gave him another opportunity uh same with uh savali and and mckenzie both uh, getting called up later in the season but they weren't service time manipulations so yeah I, I, there's only one example at the moment like usually with service time it's going to happen with the best prospects that are like not just the best in your organization, but maybe like top 50 or even higher overall in all of baseball. And right now the Indians don't have a lot of those and and the ones they do have are not quite uh, close enough to be manipulated. Our next question came from Russell Harden, who wanted to know which prospects have the most upside to help out the team this year. Well, it just depends if you think Nolan Jones can help right now uh, offensively, then at, at least as a left-handed outfield platoon bat, I think he can definitely help out this year right now. And then in terms of pitching, you would have to say, you, you look at the who we have available for that maybe number five starter, then I'm hearing good things about Logan Allen. The You know, he's, he's not a rookie anymore, but... Uh, you know, the the, uh, the older Logan Allen looks like he lost like 25, 35 pounds and he's in incredible shape and he's taken everything. He's, he's from, from what I read, he uh, really dove headfirst into the Indians uh, pitching factory in the offseason. 
So he's all about like the analytics and and the work. So uh, I'm hearing really good things. If that actually you know pays off, then I think he could be a significant co- contributor this year uh, as a, a number uh, five starter at some point. That would be fun because no one's really talking about him a lot. Yeah, say there's an injury, or say he beats uh, Quantrill for the the number five starter right out of the gate. I think uh, Daniel Johnson will have an opportunity. Other than that, you know, it's going to be potentially Bobby Bradley at first base will have an opportunity and probably in the bullpen is where you're going to see the most rookies probably. So we'll have uh, Trevor Steven, we'll have Kyle Nelson, we'll have Nick Sandlin at some point. I think Roger uh, Robert Broom at some point. You know, there are several uh, interesting uh, pitching prospects in the bullpen, maybe not super high up on the uh, prospect rankings, but they all have the stuff to contribute at the major league level. It just depends if uh, how many veterans they're going to keep in that bullpen. Cause you know, they've made quite a few veteran signings as well. And that could crowd them out and uh, take away some opportunities for some of the younger guys. And Emmanuel Clace, he's still technically a rookie. So I would say he's probably going to make the biggest contribution. I mean, I expect him to be our eighth inning guy. And as a rookie, he's going to be uh, somebody that's going to be, we're going to be relying on quite a bit, I'm hoping, as long as uh, he doesn't do anything stupid this year. I think you nailed it. So we're going to go to question number four from Aaron Starkey on Facebook. He wanted to know, based on the spots already filled, what do you think Nolan Jones has to slash to force the organization to bring him up? Obviously, JRAM at third and now the acquisition of the E. Rosario seems to jam him up a bit. What does he have to do that forces the organization to rework things? It's a combination of what Nolan has to do and what everybody else has to not do. Because right now there's only a couple spots for Nolan, which is third base. So say, knock on wood, nightmare scenario happens, you know, Jose gets hurt or something. Nolan immediately, I think, should Immediately, and there better not be anybody else who touches it before him. Um, And then other than that, though, something with Franmil Reyes, maybe they want to put Nolan's bat in the lineup, call him up uh, as a DH. And then other than that, I think it would have to be the people in right field playing out of it at the moment because you've got major league players in Naylor, and Daniel and uh, Luplo and a whole host of other options that are currently f- battling for that spot. So they're going to have to play poorly on top of Nolan just killing it at AAA for him to get that opportunity. I mean, I still think that at some point this year he does make the debut, but um, at the moment, I think it might have to happen like because there's an opening in a way we don't want there to be an opening. If he decided to just obliterate the ball so stupidly well that the Indians just threw up their hands and said, I guess you're hitting third. We'll find you a position. I think that looks like 310, 390, 610. At that point, you just say, okay, okay, okay. Just hold on. If he continues continues to uh, get on base at the same rate that he had been and say he's posting like a plus 400 on base percentage, I think that could force Cleveland's hand just because that's something that plays. 
you know, even as you go up different levels. Yeah, well, he's Anthony Rendon at that point. And it's like, okay, yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> so uh, something he's going to have to prove, though, is hitting uh, left-handed uh, pitchers because that has actually been a flaw people have been pointing out recently. You know, you want to make it at the major league level and you don't want to just be a platoon bat. You're going to have to hit lefties. So uh, I would I would like to see him get some experience every day against lefties at the minor league level first as well. I would take him without any power against lefties in the lineup if he still drew enough walks mm-hmm. to have like a 320 on base percentage though i know that's not great but if he obliterated righties and then was at least replacement level against lefties okay yeah and that's always something you can work on you know he's still really young but yeah if, if he puts up <laughs> legit mvp numbers at the plate and what is a 400, 400? Yeah, that'd be an OPS over a thousand if he hit. If he has an OPS over a thousand, then I think the Indians do it. But you're right that that's not likely, and it would probably, in a realistic scenario, require some other dominoes falling in ways that we don't like. Yeah, I mean, I love that they signed Eddie Rosario, and I think that that fills a huge hole in. Uh, the outfield, but that also lowered drastically the window for Nolan Jones to to contribute with the team. Just something to, to take into consideration. We will have to see how it shakes out. So thanks again, everyone, for giving us questions. We're going to try to get back to doing this, uh, if not once a week, probably every other week. Just sort of depending on. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's let everybody know where they can send us all these uh, questions because. Uh, I think we make it available in a whole bunch of different formats. You can always find us on Twitter at Let's Go Tribe. And of course, Let's Go Tribe.com. We also have the Discord. If you go to Let's Go Tribe.com, we will have a link to the Discord available in the podcast post for the week. And then there's also a Facebook page as well. Our next topic of discussion for the podcast today was the player development staff. Uh, some changes have come down and it will have some effects for the rest of the organization. Yeah, I think uh, what I read was uh, Tony Mancellino is actually going to be in another organization. I think he got a job at the, the major league level, right? He ended up with the Orioles. I was watching a video earlier where he was talking about how the opportunity shook out. And I guess he was more or less prepared to start with the Indians in his new position, which was... I think like director of information on the baseball side. And he got the call from the Orioles and the Indians went ahead and let them interview and they offered him the position. And he said, yeah, which I think is a bummer for the organization. I got the impression that he was a good coach. And when you have a guy who's that young, I think he's still only 38, 39. That's an interesting dynamic in a minor league situation where it's a guy that was, you know, only 10 years ago literally in the same place as those guys. So I think it'll be interesting to see what he does in Baltimore. And um, it's a little bit of a bummer. He's not going to be with the tribe. I, uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for Tony Mancellino because uh, I believe he was the head coach of Akron. I interviewed him when Francisco Mejia was there. And I did a whole story about the development in like Mejia's defense. Basically it was, when after that story got posted, I got a notification that it got picked up and it was being sent out to like everybody in my fantasy league on RotoWire. Oh wow! <laughs> and I was like, 
because like he was like somebody that was like in a lot of the prospect lists at the time. I think he was like a top 10 or top 20 prospect in all of baseball. And you could have him on your team in case he got called up to the bigs. And it was like, uh, Tony Monsolito recently said that he was working on his defense. And I'm just like, oh, that's so cool. So that just reminded me. And I think they even quoted me. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. What were some of the other highlights that popped out to you from the news? Yeah. I think that the main thing is, uh, or one of the coolest ones was that Anna Bolton, uh, you know, the popular uh, translator for Jose Ramirez, she is now the organization's education and language coordinator. So she'll be like working with all, pretty much all of the international prospects to help them kind of adapt to life in the, the United States. And I think that's important. You know, if you, you don't feel like you belong here and, you know, you're struggling, uh, it can affect your, your game. So I think, and she does a great job. So yes. she's, she was one of my favorite people. So uh, basically, you know, it, it, it's always fun to see, seeing Jose talk English anyway, you know, the home run pitch and all those little silly things. But, um, but she always did a really good job. It seemed to me that she connected really well and quickly with the players in a way that they don't always do with translators. So I'm just happy for that reason that she's still involved. I think it's awesome. And I think from what I read, all the coaches are going to be staying the same, the ones that were in place heading into last year. So no drastic changes. Like I think Mantellino was already out of the organization heading into last year. So uh, I think everybody that they had signed up is at least at the the head coaching positions are all going to stay there. So uh, you know you're not going to have a lot of turnover, which is good. It definitely is. Yeah, and then uh, you know I think the coolest thing is that uh, I know that they've been there for a while, but that Travis Hafner and Travis Fryman continue to help the team out in Arizona during uh, spring training. I always think it's cool that former players help out in the organization, even if it's for a short time. But they're just like, hey, you know what? Let's go, you know, help these guys learn to hit a little bit. I just, I want Travis Hafner to be the Indians' crazy uncle. <laughs> like, how cool would it be thirty years from now to go to spring training and and Hafner's just sitting there in a t-shirt signing baseballs? Like, I want him to be that guy. I think he that'd be was, so cool. I went to the All Star game this past year in Cleveland uh, in uh, twenty nineteen. We also got tickets to the the Futures game. Maybe in retrospect, I probably should have got Home Run Derby instead because that ended up being that crazy one with Flad and Jock Peterson. But we got to go Futures game and the Celebrity Softball game. And the Celebrity Softball game, Hafner was on team. It was Team Cleveland versus the world. And Hafner was on Team Cleveland. And I think it was the first time in the history of the Celebrity Softball game, a player actually hit a home run over the major league fence. <laughs> I, I just... I feel like it defines who he was as a player and like a, a figure in Cleveland so much that perhaps his most legendary home run of all is in the celebrity softball game. So the last thing we wanted to touch base on uh, is position battles. Uh, well, we went over a whole bunch of different uh, scenarios in the last podcast, but one of the things that I think we talked about in depth was the battle for a lefty out of the bullpen. And then what do they do, you know, two days after we in extensively break down all the left-handed pitching prospects that are vying for this spot is they go and re-sign Oliver Perez. So, signed Oliver. I, 
<laughs> I mean, I love Oliver Perez, so I mean, I think that he can still help the team, and I'm sure that he's probably going to make the team out of the spring training. That is going to take away a, a, an option for like a Sam Henkis um, to make the club out of spring training. But uh, you know, if Henkis goes out there and just mows people down, he could still make it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having another guy that can throw you know 99 miles an hour as a lefty with a devastating hook. So. I'm willing to bet Oliver Perez's contract is actually like a minor league contract with a major league option that if it does not become a major league contract, it just becomes a pitching coach role. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that kind of what they did with the old man Atchison? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. It's just in the legalese in there somewhere. Um, And then, uh, then they go and sign uh, Harold uh, Ramirez today, uh, which is, adding uh, an intriguing option. Uh, I think he's going to be a guy that is going to be vying for center field. So it'll kind of be a battle now between Ramirez and then you got Mercado, Zimmer, Daniel Johnson, and uh, Billy Hamilton. So it's a five-man battle for center field at the moment. And uh, Ramirez is, is intriguing. I mean, this guy is really good on the base paths. Um, I think one of the fastest players in all the baseball. So he's like a younger version of Billy Hamilton, but he also has a lot of uh, the same problems that Hamilton has, which is uh, not the greatest in terms of offensive ability, in terms of power, in terms of uh, getting on base. Uh, you know, he, he makes decent contact. So we'll see. I mean, he's going to have every opportunity to make the team and he's still just 26 years old. So it's not like this is some, you know, washed up player that, you know, they're just nobody else wanted. So I'm kind of surprised that he was available, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I think, I think he's, he will have every opportunity to, to get that center field position. I feel like the Indian strategy is what's this a woefully poor outfield. The addition of yet another outfielder ought to put an end to that. And it just doesn't work. But anyway, it seems to me like the Indians are just, they're either going to let all of them try to play or they're going to do some full metal alchemist shit and fuse them all into one super outfielder. Would they even be super if you fused all five of them? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it had to be said, uh, that, that is, that is an issue, you know, heading into the season. fast. Yeah, they would so, be very fast. We have several extremely speedy center fielders. I think if season. they did fuse them, they would actually be as fast as people say Cool Papa Bell was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look up, you know, stolen base statistics. I think all five of those guys have, you know, legitimate uh, stolen base ability. So they kind of we'll just see. take them when but, they yeah, want them. You, you got to get on base first. You know, you can't steal first. That's what they always say. So you got to get on first before any of that can happen. I think then that brings us to the point in the podcast where we are ready to read an E.E. E. Gamings poem yes, and wrap it up. Yes, please. <clears throat> How to coach your tomato. Number one, procure a marshmallow. Number two, put it in a walk. Number three, pass it firmly. <laughs> <laughs> 